Well, church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning uh, to the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 24 this morning, verses 1 and 2. And you can open up near the center of uh, the Bible. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, probably near the center and backtrack a little bit. You come to Psalm uh, 24 and read the entire Psalm earlier. Uh, but want to focus in now on the opening verses, verses 1 and verse 2. And so as you find your place there in uh, Psalms, uh, let me invite you, as we often do, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Let's hear from the Lord. David writes, he says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you uh, for being a God who speaks. Uh, Lord, we praise you for being uh, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, for being God alone. Lord, for being worthy of our praise. And Father, we thank you for your presence being with us now. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us and guide us, instruct us uh, through your word and the proclamation of it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, if you've been with us any in the last few weeks, you know that we've been journeying through the book of Exodus together. And uh, today we pause that journey uh, to begin a mini-series on gospel giving uh, that will lead us right into our December Advent series titled Stories of Christmas. It's hard to believe that we're quickly approaching Thanksgiving and, and Christmas once again, but we are. Uh, the holidays are coming, seasons are coming, seasons go, people come and, and people go, but in the midst of all the change, uh, I want to remind you this morning that there is uh, one who remains forever. There is one whose position is permanent and whose character is constant. He is the one and only almighty maker of heaven and earth, and because he made the earth, he owns the earth. Church, God owns the earth. It is his. God owns the earth. The psalmist says in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, Yahweh's earth. The God who has entered into covenant relationship with Israel, the one who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 as the great I am. The ever-present, self-sustaining one who has now entered into relationship with us, Through his son Jesus, our Savior. Scholars believe that this psalm was likely uh, written after an Israelite victory in battle. And it was used as uh, liturgy for a festival of praise. uh, Indicating that uh, the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. That uh, had been, uh, was being brought back to the sanctuary in Jerusalem. And as it came up. Uh, the hill into Jerusalem and as it entered into the gates, into the sanctuary, into the Lord's rightful place, uh, this psalm would have been used in, in praise and in celebration. The earth is the Lord's. Just a few days ago, just uh, over a week ago, last weekend, uh, my eight-year-old daughter uh, came downstairs with uh, a couple of games and said, Daddy, let's play a game. And uh, one of those games was Monopoly Junior. And so we sat down and I'll be honest, I wasn't thrilled about playing Monopoly uh, Junior, but as we began to play, I sort of went back to my childhood, and I remember games of Monopoly uh, with the extended family around uh, the table to the wee hours of the night over the holidays, and 
we, we sat down and we, we began to play without reading the directions, sort of remembered uh, the way that this game is supposed to work. And there's one key difference I noticed right away between Monopoly Junior and the regular Monopoly, and that's in Monopoly Junior, uh, the rent is enormous compared to the price of the property. In other words, if someone lands on your property, you get as much rent the first go-round as you paid for the property. So it only makes sense, right, to buy as much property as you can. And so as we ran around, went around the board, uh, I sort of got in the competitive mode and began buying everything I landed on. And when my 8-year-old said, I think I'm going to pass on this one, I said, that's fine, you know, your choice, uh, knowing where this is going to go. Uh, but delighting in the opportunity to, to have the competitive edge, to, to own something, so to speak, for myself. And found out later, one key difference also in Junior Monopoly is you have to purchase what you land on. And that sort of evens the blame. But we found out that later. But, but you know, in this life, uh, you may own some things, right? You likely do. You, you have things that are in your name, that are your possession. You may have the title to house or land, but your land and my land is ultimately God's land. It is not ours. The earth is the Lord's. And those who know the Lord God know that this is good news because he is a good God. In other words, because God is a good God, uh, his creation is a good creation. As we've seen in our study over the last few weeks in the book of Exodus, the story of Scripture is ultimately a story of God. A story of his purposes and his plans and his interaction with his creatures. And so our text for this morning, Psalm 24, begins by employing creation language, creation terminology, taking us all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Language that sounds a whole lot like Psalm 24, verse Two, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Friends, God and God alone existed in the beginning. Our, our finite minds cannot grasp his eternality, but he has always been and he will always be. He is the God who is. He always has been. He will always be. And this dense and rocky, suspended ball of a planet that remains about 93 million miles, give or take, from the surface of the sun and orbits around the sun every 365 days is owned by God. He owns it. He designed it. He engineered it. And he secures it. Who is he? He's the God who has made himself known to us in his word. He is the God who is three in one, known as Father Son and Holy Spirit all existed together, the Bible teaches, in the beginning. All were there at creation. John says it this way in the opening of his gospel, John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now in Scripture, the Word of God is his speech. It is his communication. It is his self-disclosure, his self-expression, his revelation. And John is saying that in the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, who has taken on human flesh, that this Son of God is the Word, is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. 
For just as the the written word, the, the Bible, reveals the character and the plans and the will of God, so does Jesus Christ. He reveals God to us. He is divine self-expression or the ultimate self-disclosure of God himself. In other words, if you look to Jesus and you examine his life, you learn who God is. And John locates the existence of this word in the beginning, meaning before time, meaning that the Son of God is not a creature. He is God, the eternal God. The author of Hebrews helps us with this. He says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God's word is powerful. For his word spoke creation into existence, and by his word all of creation is sustained, even today. In other words, remove the word of God, and the earth would crumble, and life would cease. God owns the earth. And because he owns it, church, we should care for creation. We should care for creation. We should care for the earth. And I'm not interested this morning in a debate about climate change. We'll leave that to the experts. And I assure you, I am not one of them. But I'm talking about stewardship. We are called to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to us. We are stewards. For the Lord God created people and he told them to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to rule over it. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. This is dominion. And dominion expresses responsibility, implies responsibility. This is what it means to be made in God's image. That we represent him on the earth. So we ought to recycle when possible. We ought to consider how our consumption of of goods and our industrial practices and the like affects the earth that God has entrusted to us, for God owns it. It is his. We are stewards of it. God owns the earth. It is his, but we're not just talking about the rocks and the rivers, the waters, the land, the dirt, but we're talking about everything that lives on it or in it. For God owns the earth and everything in it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. All creatures, big and small, caterpillars and kangaroos, crocodiles, warthogs and whales, snakes and snails. It's all his. He owns it. So if you want your life to have significance and meaning, you've got to get beyond. We've got to get beyond the immediacy of just our own lives and consider the grandeur of God's creation, of his world. So think big. Think big. As one author states, he says, think big is David's strategy for praising God. In other words, David knows he ought to praise God, and so he begins to think about who God is and what God has done, what God has made, and that leads him to praise. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, creation attests to its maker. If you're with us Last Sunday evening, with our gathering with our friends from First Baptist Church of Sipco, they sang this song. They said, for the Lord our God is, is mighty. For the Lord our God is omnipotent. For the Lord our God is wonderful. Creation attests to who he is. Do you know that the earth is 
7,926 miles in diameter with surface temperatures raising, uh, ranging from roughly negative 128 degrees Fahrenheit to a positive 136 degrees Fahrenheit with a liquid metal core that is believed by experts to be hotter than the surface of the sun. Did you know that the sun is a giant spinning ball of hot gas fueled by nuclear fusions heating earth and making life on earth possible? Do you know that there are estimated to be 100 to 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone? And that there are over 100 billion galaxies in the known universe? Church, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. But it isn't just these massive things that display the glory of God. It isn't just planets and stars and widespread things. It's also the small things, the creepy and the crawly and the hopping and the leaping and the swimming things too. All creatures, great and small, declare declare the glory of the One who made them. Scriptures say it this way in Psalm 104, verses 27 and following. All creatures look to you, God, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they they die and return to the dust. And when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. In other words, life and sustenance come from God and God alone. All creatures, great and small, are dependent upon Yahweh for the very breath they breathe and the food that they eat. God owns the earth and everything in it, meaning that he also owns you and he owns me. Because he owns you and he owns me, let's give ourselves fully to him. Give yourself fully to him. The Bible says here that he owns the world And all who live in it, that's us. We owe our very existence to him. That's what the Bible teaches. That that apart from his sovereign power and his gracious will, we would not be here. We wouldn't just not be here on a Sunday morning gathered with God's people, but we would not be in existence at all. In fact, the Bible teaches that he knew us before we were born. He formed us according to his plan. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, stated it this way. He says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Jeremiah, I I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Friends, at the most fundamental level, God owns us. He owns us. We are dependent upon Him. We are subject to Him. We are responsible before Him. He owns us. And one day, according to the Bible, the Bible teaches that we will all bow before Him, recognizing His greatness, our dependence upon Him. That one day, all people will submit to Him. But on that day, if we haven't bowed before Him already here in this life, then our submission there will be forced and no indication that we are one of His. So, friend, are you one of his? Do you know that you belong to him? Have you submitted to him? You've turned away from sin and embraced life in Christ, acknowledging what he has done for you. Can you say to the Lord of all creation, I am yours. I am yours. I love you. 
Do with me what you will. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, meaning far away from a relationship with the Lord, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, saved by the grace of God, called his children and awaiting an an eternal inheritance. If you are not one of his, turn and trust him today. Claim the forgiveness that he offers to you by his grace. Repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. Find life and satisfaction in Him, true life in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is what God has done for us. This is the central story of His Word. That He has rescued, that He has redeemed, that He has purchased us, that He has adopted us, that He has cleansed us through His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we were not living for Him, none of us. We were not seeking Him or serving Him or praising Him, and yet He pursued us and He pardoned us And he purchased us through the blood of his son, Jesus. How could we not live for him? If we believe that truth, if we believe the message of the pages of his word, how could we not live for him? Christian, the Bible declares that uh, that you are not your own. I am not my own. That you were purchased, you were bought at a price. Therefore, Paul says, he says, honor God with your bodies. So give yourself fully to him. One who made you, the one who knows you, one who calls you and redeems you through the blood of his son, our savior. Walk with him and delight in his mercy each day. Serve him and serve him fully. Serve him here in the church. Find a place where you can plug in and serve and contribute to the overall good and growth of the body. Serve him faithfully, consistently, generously. In fact, you may have noticed that you have an insert in your bulletin this morning where you can indicate areas where you feel the Lord has called you or equipped you or encouraged you to serve in the life of the church, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider how you might serve the body of Christ. We need you. This is God's design for the church. He has made each of us uniquely. Psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are distinct and different. We're gifted with different personalities and experiences and passions and talents. I encourage you to serve him and serve him faithfully. Give generously to his kingdom work. You see, when you know that he loves you deeply, you begin to find joy and satisfaction in living for him. And as you grow in love for Jesus, you begin to love what Jesus loves. You begin to love who Christ loves. And the truth is that there is no one, according to his word, whom he doesn't love. So believer, love everyone as your neighbor. Love everyone as your neighbor. You see, if the earth and everything in it is owned by God, and if the people on it have been created in the image of God and made for the purpose of of knowing God, and if he loves each one of them with the kind of rescuing love that led him to the earth to pardon and pursue and to purchase, then his position and his plans ought to move us to love every person on earth as if they are our neighbors. To love others because God has loved us. And to love them because because all are valuable in his eyes. To love what God loves. John the disciple says it this way in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. 
He says, everyone who, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in conclusion, he says, dear friends, believers, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, gospel giving, gospel living only makes sense in light of God's giving to us. And in Christ, he gives himself to us and for us. And it is his matchless love for us that compels us to love one another, to love our neighbors. To love the people of the world in such a way as to point them to the Lord who owns them and invites them to know and serve him. So as you see people. As you look around and you see people this morning, as you depart later and you encounter people throughout today and throughout this week, throughout the remainder of your lives, as you encounter people, see an opportunity to share with them, to show them the love of Jesus Christ. See, God loves with an everlasting love. God loves with a rescuing love. God loves with a faithful love and a forgiving love. Do you know his love? Do you know personally Love of a God who has extended salvation to you by His grace, undeserved, freely given. Do you know the love of a God who has done for you and for me what we can never do or accomplish or deserve on our own? He loves us so much that He came to us in the flesh, that He stooped down and He lived the life, the Son of God lived the life that we should have lived but couldn't. Dying the death that we deserved so that we could be justified, so that we could be cleansed so that God would no longer need to hold our sin against us, being a holy and just and righteous God, but look on us and see the innocence and the cleansing of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Do you know His love? Who are you showing His love? Are you showing His love? See, in the Bible, though He called and chose Israel to be the recipients of His love, multiplying and delivering them. We're seeing that in our Exodus journey. And then instructing them through the giving of the law, instructing the Jews, regulating a relationship with them in order to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. And even so, God's love and his care through this mission, through this plan of the Messiah coming, Jesus coming in the flesh, extends to all the nations, to all people of the world. The young and the old, the rich and the poor, Jews and Gentiles, servants and CEOs, boys and girls, calling all to know him through Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And likewise, as John recounts a vision of heaven that the Lord gives him in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. He says, after this I looked, and there before me, was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He says they were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. Why is that significant? Well, church, because God's plans extend across the globe, so must ours. And because God has plans that include northerners and southerners and easterners and westerners and 
Alabama fans and LSU fans and Auburn fans and Arkansas fans and yes, even Tennessee fans because God loves all of these. So must we. Love everyone as your neighbor. For there is no one on earth who has not been created and crafted by the hand of the Most High God. Friends, God owns the earth and everything in it, for He made it. He made it. He designed it. He engineered it. He secured it. He sustains it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The earth is not ours. The world is not ours. This place is not ours. Our lives are not ours. It is all His. And so church, like the rocks and the dirt, the birds and the worms, like all of creation, we are His. Made and sustained and owned by Him. But unlike these things, unlike unlike the rocks and the dirt, the birds and the worms, we are His redeemed and purchased and forgiven by His grace. Have you received His grace? Do you know His forgiveness? Did you, do you know that you're right with God now and forever because you've turned and trusted in His provision of salvation? Jesus, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Do you belong to Him? Can you say this morning, Lord, I am yours. Take this life. And let it be consecrated to Thee. Take my hands, take my feet, take my mouth, take my gifts, take my treasures, take all of me, Lord, and use them for your glory, for your purposes, whatever plans you may have for them. You see, when recognized and received, the truths of this text can only lead to one place, and that is worship. That is worship for the one who, who made us, for the one who is our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. See, God owns the earth and everything in it, for he made it. So, church, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's conclude our time this morning by continuing to praise him. And we'll praise him in song. Let's praise him with our lips. Let's praise him in our hearts, for he knows our hearts. Let's praise him with our lives, not only as we gather in this place, but as we depart in a few moments. May we be a people who praise him, for he is worthy. That's where Psalm 24 ends. That's where nearly every individual psalm ends, and that's certainly where the book of Psalms ends. Praise for the one and only God who is worthy of our worship. May our lives worship Him. Let's praise Him. Let's praise Him now. Would you bow with me? Father, we come before you this morning, and we, we acknowledge that there's no one like you. That you are holy. You are set apart. Or that you are God most high, that you are incomparable, that there is no one or nothing that compares to you. You are the matchless one, the great I am, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet you are interested in us. The creation of all. Lord, you became a, a creature so that we might know you and be reconciled to you and live with you and for you forever. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your majesty and your mercy. And Father, we pray that you would indeed impress the truths of your word on our lives constantly and move us to praise you. Father, I pray if there are 
there are those gathered among us this morning who do not know you in a personal way. Who have not trusted in your provision, your son Jesus for salvation. I pray that your spirit would convict them and lead them to do so today. Lord, that they would have faith to trust you. And Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would be reminded today from your word, by your spirit, that you own us, that we are yours. And Lord, may our lives be lived accordingly for your glory. Lead us to that end. Lord, lead us to praise you now, to lay our lives before you, for you are worthy. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.